For those of you who so happen to uh, know our church at Grace Point and have been able to invite a bunch of us here, because uh, I know that the previous guy that came and preached last week, Tom, he's also from the same church that I'm at, and so it's been a, it's a great privilege to be able to preach the word to you guys. Last week also, he did preach from 2 Corinthians, from what I heard, and today I have also decided to bring the word to you guys from the same book, from chapter 4 though, and we'll be focusing more about ministry, or the nature of it at least, and how we are to persevere in the midst of it. And so, why don't I pray for us, and then we shall get started, shall we? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I just want to thank you once again that we get to come before you and to hear from what you have to say in your word and we just want to pray that your words will give us nourishment and encouragement as we continue to serve you in all that we do in this life and I pray this in your son's precious name, amen. Now I just want to put it out there that ministry is hard, right? Ministry is hard and ministry is difficult. I'm sure many of you guys can understand this. Because the, the duty and responsibility of Christians today is to bring the gospel to bear on the lives of people. And that is actually a very challenging call indeed, isn't it? I'm, I'm sure that you guys, at the course of your years of serving the Lord Jesus, that you have had people who have left your ministries, or you've had people who have left your one-to-one meetups, maybe because they've no longer wanted to grow and they no longer want to be part of your community and, and maybe you've actually tried to read your Bibles with maybe your children but you find that your lives are so constantly disrupted with distraction and busyness and maybe some of you guys have evangelized and shared the gospel with your family and with your friends and to no avail you've just found that even though you've tried to be a good witness to them in the home and in the workplace, all you've ever faced is greater opposition, right? All you've faced is sorrow and grief over their unrepentance. And so when we're called to bring the message of Jesus to bear on the lives of people, we are often bound to face disappointment and despondency. Isn't that true? It often leaves us feeling absolutely drained and exhausted. And don't get me wrong, right? It is a joy to serve God. It is a joy to serve others in ministry. But it's also hard, and it's also very difficult. Painfully difficult for many of us. I think we make decisions that people often aren't very happy with. We have people who do resent us, and we're often susceptible to being misunderstood. And ministry often feels quite lonely at times. And so ministry often (laughs) reminds us of how terribly broken we are. And so the question that we have for us to answer this morning is how do we persevere in serving, especially when ministry becomes really hard? And what we see in this text that was just read out for us is that the Apostle Paul had this huge share of of moments in ministry where he was on the edge of despair, right? He's encountered many challenges over the course of his lifetime as he gave himself to lifelong service to the Lord. And here's the one central message that he has for us this morning. To not lose heart, for our brokenness is not a liability in the service of the Lord, it's an asset to be treasured. Let me say that again. 
to not lose heart in serving our Lord Jesus, for our brokenness is not a liability, it's an asset to be treasured. Now, I guess the question here is, how is Paul able to say all of that? And so we're going to actually discover through this passage here, he gives us three big encouragements here for us in our passage today as we continue to serve God and his people this year. Uh, Here are these three points. I don't know if you guys have an outline, but I can say them out here, right? We should not lose heart in ministry because, number one, because God uses us powerfully in our imperfection. That's the first one. The second one is because God gives us strength through Christ's resurrection. And then the third one is because God renews us day by day until our glorification. And so... I'll say it again, right? Because God uses us powerfully in our imperfection. That's the first one. Second one, God gives us strength through Christ's resurrection. And then the third one is God renews us day by day until our glorification. And so let's go through each of them, right? First of all, why don't you come with me to our first point in verses 7 to 9. Verses 7 to 9. Now, we, we read that there's this treasure here in jars of clay, right? And I guess we should ask ourselves, what is this treasure that Paul's talking about here? Well, we need to look at the previous verse back again, right? So look at verse 6 here. We see that the treasure here is the light of the kingdom of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ, right? And so the treasure here is clearly the gospel. The gospel containing the glory of God through the person and work of Jesus Christ. That is what the treasure is here. It's this gospel. And this gospel is stored in what Paul says in jars of clay. And this is actually what Paul is referring himself to, right? He's referring to himself as a jar of clay. And what he's trying to do here is he's actually trying to illustrate something very powerful. In the ancient world, jar clays... Jars of clay were containers that were used in everyday living for cooking, for eating, for drinking, and for storing leftovers, right? And in every household, you would have found all these sorts of containers, every single household back then, right? They wouldn't be the most glamorous-looking pieces of decor in the room, but they certainly were very useful. But the thing is that once they broke, they would be disposed quite quickly. They were dispensable and easily replaceable. And here, and you know, today, I reckon we have our modern day equivalent, right? We have our modern day equivalent for the same purposes of our everyday living, right? Think of plastic bags, for example. I'm willing to bet that every single one of you will have some sort of some sort of plastic bag lying around in your house somewhere, and that plastic bag has many uses, doesn't it? Right? We use them to carry things around, we use them for our groceries, especially when we don't want to pay the extra 15 cents at Woolies or Coles. Okay? We have them lying around, we put our goods in them, we might carry our dog's poop in them, and of course we use them to line up our rubbish bins. Okay? We all use plastic bags, don't we? Plastic bags are very, very useful, aren't they? But here's the thing, as soon as they have a hole in them, they don't become very useful anymore, do they? We, dis- we, we discard them immediately, and then what we often do is we get a new one to replace it. Plastic bags are dispensable, they're disposable, they are cheap, 
and easily replaceable. And to be frank, this is how Paul is describing himself, right? He's, and he's describing us in this way as well, just like that. That we are jars of clay that are frail, that are weak and mortal. We're fragile and we're easily replaceable. And that is exactly why the Lord has intended to make us and use us in this way. The precious treasure of the gospel is to be stored in jars of clay, in broken vessels like us, right? Have a look at verse 7, right? And he does this to show, right, that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us, okay? It's from God and not from us. So the power of God is to be displayed in the weakness of Paul. That's what Paul's trying to say here. The reason why Paul... The reason why God would use fragile and weak humans like us for the ministry of the gospel, here's the reason. It's so that there would be no chance that anyone would ever assume that the conversion of souls would rely on human capacity. Yeah? That's the reason why God would use weak and fragile humans like us, right? Because we're never powerful to begin with. The only reason we're able to do what we're capable of doing is all by the power of God himself. Have a look at verses 8 and 9. Verses 8 and 9, we see there that in Paul's ministry, he's gone through so much pain, right? He's gone through so much hardship, and he's gone through more than any of us have probably experienced in our life so far. Right? Firstly, we see that the man was hard-pressed. Okay? He was afflicted. He was squeezed under the immense pressure and stresses of faithful gospel ministry. But he was not crushed. We see that in the verse, don't we? And then secondly, we see that the man was perplexed. Now, I guess it's interesting to me about what Paul would have been perplexed about. And I think as we read some of the other epistles of some of the ministry journeys and experiences that Paul had, say in the book of Acts or in the epistles like in Galatians and whatnot, we see that Paul has actually gone through many confusing moments in his ministry and in his time as he served the Lord. Like, just imagine what it would have been like for the Apostle Paul, right? The guy had to deal with some of the toughest and one of the most unusual pastoral situations that anyone would have had to handle as someone in ministry, right? For example, there was this one time where he had to deal with congregation members who were sleeping with their own parents. Wouldn't you imagine that? And that's pretty horrifying to hear. But we see that in 1 Corinthians 5, okay? And there was this other occasion where he had to deal with members who didn't respect him and others who tried to usurp his authority and wanted to take over his senior pastor position. And we actually see that in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And then imagine you have just planted a new congregation. That's what Paul did in, in, in his time serving the Lord. And say that everyone... Who, who was in that congregation were, were pretty solid. Everything seemed fine about this church plan, right? But then at some point, for some reason, the elders proposed that those who wanted to be members of this church community had to be circumcised. And Paul had to face that. And we actually see that in Galatians chapter 3. And so when you think about it, the Apostle Paul himself had some very perplexing moments in ministry. He has had to deal with a lot. And for us, when we read this, it's kind of weird, 
It's kind of funny, but all of it was true. And I'm sure that many of you leaders here, these cases aren't too far off from reality because I'm sure that many of you have experienced these things as well, right? And personally for me and for others, I reckon Paul would have had many moments upon reflection and he would have just thought to himself, good grief, what did I do wrong here? Right? How did I fail these people that I've been serving? Right? Could things have been different if I just did things a little differently? If I said or did this thing instead, would we have been able to avoid this situation altogether? The what ifs always gets us pondering, doesn't it? And Paul would have felt weak in those moments. And Paul was perplexed in these situations in ministry and he would have felt powerless in these times to figure out what he should have done in these partial situations instead. But you know what? He didn't fall into despair from his own incompetence, from his own weakness. We're going to see later on why that's the case. But we see thirdly, right, Paul was persecuted. Paul was persecuted and preaching the gospel did not make you popular back then, right? It didn't make you popular back then. Paul was chased out from every town that he was in, right? Persecution comes God's people live in true obedience to him. And that's the Christian faith, basically, right? It's, that's how it was, and that's how it is, and that's how it always will be. It will be a persecuted faith. <coughs> there was a bounty on Paul's head wherever he went, but in these times, he says he was never forsaken. Paul never felt alone. He never felt abandoned. And that's, that's actually really encouraging here, right? And then the last one there in that verse, we see that Paul was struck down, right? And on many occasions, he nearly died. I'm sure you guys perhaps have read Acts chapter 14, where it talks about the particular incident that Paul had when he was in Lystra. And he was, he was hunted down, and he was ceremonially stoned to death. You guys remember that story in there? And, and, the, and his body was taken outside that city that he was doing ministry in, and he was just left there to rot under the sun, right? And so he was basically left for dead. But somehow, Paul was able to get up on his two feet, and he went back to the same town that he nearly died in, right? Paul was struck down, but he was not destroyed. And I guess what I found perplexing about all this and maybe you do too, right? Is this, how does a man go through all that and not crumble? How does a man go through all that and not crumble? How does someone like him live on the edge of death and not feel crushed by the burden, not driven to despair, not feeling forsaken and not destroyed? How does he persevere? Only by the power of God, right? It's only by the power of God. Only by God's power was he able to endure and persevere through the toughest of challenges. You see, Paul never felt crushed by the overwhelming burden of ministry. Why? Because God strengthened him by his sufficient power. God, was, God had, had given him all sorts of power 
to which he was never driven into despair. And, and Paul trusted in his sovereign grace to work all things for good. Paul never felt forsaken because God, the power of his comfort, was always on his side. The Lord had sustained him that whole time, right? <clears throat> I hope the Lord will give me strength as I go through this sermon because it's breathing through some chilly air and my throat's feeling a bit funny, right? Now, most of the problems that he had when he was in ministry as an apostle, many of us might feel like we've not really gone through what he did, but <clears throat> I think many of us can actually empathize and recognize much of what Paul felt in his ministry, right? I think we can share in some of his difficulties here and therefore actually understand a little bit about what was going through his heart as he was going through these experiences. Now, I think that's what God is able to do and accomplish in people like us, in broken jars of clay like us, because our weakness is not a liability to God. In fact, our weakness is an asset. That's what we need to remember, that our weakness is an asset to be treasured and to be used for the service of the Lord. And why does God insist on choosing and using broken people like the Apostle Paul here? <coughs> well, there's another reason why, right? Because it's through our brokenness and it's through our weakness that the life of Jesus Christ can be shown. We're at our second point. So look at verses 10 to 15 there. That's where we'll be focusing now. So Paul says here in verse 10, that we always carry around on our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus might be revealed in our body. Pardon me. So we see that in verse 10, right? We see that Paul was speaking of the physical and emotional pain that accompanied his ministry. And isn't that the great principle of ministry, guys? That Jesus died so that we might live? Isn't that ministry, basically? That is the essence of it, isn't it? It is the key to understanding the place of suffering in the Christian's life. And so I think a, a question that we should ask ourselves is, how are we to display that? How are we to display the life of Jesus most clearly in this world? How are we going to do that? The Bible says that if we, are to use, if we are to be used valiantly for the ministry and for the growth of God's people and for the spread of the gospel into God's world, we need to embrace death. We need to embrace death. And embracing death, what I mean here, is putting death to self, right? So that we could exemplify the beauty of the life of Christ into the world putting to death our sinful desires, okay? putting to death our greatest earthly treasures, putting ourselves to death means you know, living our entire lives for God's agenda. And this is costly, everybody. This is costly. Because all kingdom-focused ministry is costly. Because as we saw in this passage here, right, without Paul's dying to himself, there will be no life for the Corinthians. You see? Jesus died on the cross so that others might live. The, the principle of the cross 
It's the same principle in ministry. And that's what it means to carry around the death of Jesus on our bodies. Okay? He is able to embrace death to self and death to his entire life because he was confident in the one who could raise him from the dead. Verses 13 and 14. You see it right there, right? Have a look. Paul says, it is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. Since we have that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak. Because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also rise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. This verse here lies the place of Paul's utter confidence. The resurrection. It's the resurrection that comforts Paul. Right? And that's, that's where our second encouragement from this passage comes from. Right? Paul speaks the gospel. He proclaims the gospel. And he does it all in the midst of adversity. Yeah? Paul doesn't lose heart because he knows he's going to be okay. That's what Paul's basically saying, right? Because the only thing that could possibly stop Paul from his, from his ministry, from serving others, and from preaching the gospel was death itself. Really, that was the only enemy. And do you remember what, I, what we talked about in Acts chapter 14? You remember that account of Paul's near-death experience where he was stoned and left to die as his enemies dragged his mangled body to the outskirts of the city? But then we see that he miraculously got up and went back to that same city to evangelize and preach the gospel. Right? If we just think for a moment about that story, it, it, it perplexes me because... How was Paul able to get up on his two feet? Would we say that he was able to do that on his own? How was Paul able to get up other than the power of the living God, right? The one who was able to raise the dead back to life. This confident hope in the resurrection is what gave the apostle Paul the strength he needed to persevere in ministry, okay? And it was because, of his, it was because his future was secured in Jesus that he was willing to carry in his body the dying of Jesus. It was because he trusted that God would rise him from the, raise him from the dead that he was able to give his entire life for the gospel and for others. Because the resurrection of Jesus frees him up to speak boldly of Jesus. And that's why Paul is able to say in verse 15 that this is all for your benefit, okay? He's speaking to the Corinthians here. All this is for your benefit. It's not, it's not my benefit, right? It's for your benefit. Because Jesus has given us all his spiritual benefits to me already. That's what Paul's saying, right? And guys, isn't this the hope that we all need in ministry, right? I think we often have heard about the truth of the resurrection, right? For many of us here who have been churched for long enough, I think none of this is new, in particular, but I wonder whether we've actually grasped the resurrection for ourselves, right? Have we understood its realness in our lives? I think we subscribe to the truth of the resurrection, just at least cognitively, but I think in reality, the resurrection doesn't have much relevance in our lives. I think we often feel that. And I think part of the reason for that is because I think Christians today have, have adopted this sort of idea about self-preservation in ministry. And what I mean by that is that there's this whole attitude today where people think 
that it's okay to serve others and you know, to be involved in ministry so long as it suits my preferences. Right? So, you know, for example, I can serve and minister to others so long as you know, I can maintain my work-life balance, right? so long as ministry doesn't intrude on things that I want to do in, li- in my life, right? so long as I don't have to give substantial amounts to, uh, to ministries and, and whatnot, you know, so long as I get to pick and choose where I serve or who I serve under or what I can serve in. And so long as I don't have to expose myself to burnout and to hardship and to pain. Now, don't get me wrong, right? I, I totally get this sort of attitude that we have, right? I, I think it's very attractive for many reasons because it allows us to serve, right? It allows us to play our role at church. It allows us to you know, set our own boundaries on our commitments. We, we can choose what we want to serve in. And we still are able to give people the sort of illusion that this is what Christian faithfulness is really like, right? What's not to love about this? I think this is a way we often think to maintain longevity in our ministry and our service to him, right? And so that's why this, this what you call self-preservation is rather attractive because it taps into our human condition, our human instinct to protect ourselves from danger. And I think that's the very nature of things. We, we often like to shield ourselves from danger, from harm's way. We all get it, don't we? That's why self-preservation is so natural for us. But folks, I, I think this whole idea of placing strict boundaries to protect ourselves, I think it hinders the conviction that God has given us, the conviction of self-sacrifice, that is so needed in faithful gospel ministry. Self-preservation, it actually really dampens that conviction of that self-sacrifice that's needed for gospel ministry. Like for example, I think this whole notion of self-preservation, it actually breeds complacency. It, uh, self-preservation says that I will never try my hardest because I don't want others to see me fail, right? Self-preservation says I, do, I will not take risks because I, will, I don't want to try anything new or try, try something that I don't, I'm not going to be good at, right? Self-preservation says that I will not have that hard conversation with that person because I don't want to get shut down. I don't want to be rejected. And self-preservation says that I'm not going to give up my life on others because my life is my very own. It's my life. I'm not going to give that up. And that's the whole idea of self-preservation, right? It's that people continue to serve God without paying any considerable costs, without, any, many, without making any considerable sacrifices that could possibly put us in positions of vulnerability and weakness. But let's be real, right? How could we possibly convince people that Jesus is worth sacrificing for when we're not convinced ourselves that he is worth sacrificing for? How is the light of the glorious gospel in our clay jars supposed to shine brightly in the world for for them to see the glory of God? You see, I think self-preservation really is crippling to gospel ministry. The Lord said that whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for his sake will find it. That's what Jesus says, right? And thank the Lord that I think many of you here 
have found life in Jesus Christ. It's such a fortunate thing, right? And that many of you here are Christian. And you know what? I think, if not for all of you here, I think all of you here are Christian because someone in your life has made a sacrifice for you, right? Because someone was willing to be uncomfortable. Because someone was willing to take that risk. If you really believe in the resurrection, I think you can be that someone for somebody else, right? I think we don't have to cling for dear life anymore. We're, we're free from that bondage of self-preservation, self-protection. What we don't need is that, right? What we really need is sustainable sacrifice. Sustainable sacrifice. And we need this because this is what faithful ministry to Jesus looks like. And it's absolutely possible because God in Christ has secured our future for us. It means we can take risks for the gospel. It means we can try out something new. It means we can stay in ministries that are tough. It means we can have courage to have those tough pastoral conversations with people who need to be rebuked and corrected. It means we can give our lives away for the sake of others. It means we can make many mistakes. And realize that God will use us well in those imperfections of ours. Church, embrace the cracks of your broken bodies. Because the cracks in our vessels will show us the value of that which is carrying, the gospel. We have no reason to lose heart because our weakness is not a liability in the service of the Lord. It's an asset to be treasured. Let me remind you of that this morning. But you know, ministry still hurts, doesn't it? We can't deny that. There's still lingering pain from the scars we bear in ministry. And I think some of us here have served for, for a very long time. And it's not far-fetched to say that the burdens of ministry has often chipped away at our bodies. In other words, I think it's fair to say that ministry can quicken our death, can't it? But Paul continues to say, don't lose heart. Because even though God uses us in our imperfections and he strengthens us by the power of the resurrection, he does infinitely more than just that. Because as we get to our third point, we also see that he renews us day by day until the day of our glorification. That's our, that's our final encouragement from Paul here. Look with me to verses 16 to 18. This is what Paul says. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Paul and his ministry companions remained resilient and they never gave up, right? Their bodies were wearing and tearing from the harsh beatings and the punishments and the stresses and complexities that they've endured over the course of their ministry. And that is actually the cost of a follower of Jesus. That is what they are called to bear. But for Paul, he saw all of this as momentary and light compared to what is to come. And how does he do all that? You read verse 18. It says it all. We are not to focus on what is seen, 
but to focus on what is unseen. Focus on what is unseen, what is eternal. And I think our minds are just all too consumed about what's going on around us, right? Our minds and our hearts are entrenched in the present here, in this tangible reality here. We are cons- we're so concerned about what's going on around us right now. And I think that's how we've been conditioned. We're conditioned to think about our problems in this time-bound reality. And I think because we look at things from this present perspective, I think we see the issues as being bigger than what they really are. Does that make sense? I think we see the issues that are going on in our lives as bigger than they really are. But if we actually look at them from the eternal perspective, we actually find that these troubles here are quite inconsequential. Because nothing else that lives in this visible world is going to last. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. The mean and horrible word that someone said to you, or maybe you've put on the wrong lyrics on the slides, or maybe you stumbled on the Bible reading, okay? Maybe you've preached a lousy sermon, okay? Or maybe the fact that some people don't respect you. you know, all those troubles, they're all inconsequential. They really don't matter in light of eternity, okay? And, you know, these are just some of the smaller problems that we've encountered in ministry. Imagine what it was like for Paul. He was beaten and battered. He was stoned. He was whipped multiple multiple times. He, he, He often starved. And he faced danger from all four corners of the world. He's gone through so much. And yet, he can say all of this, can't he? That though outwardly he was wasting away, inwardly he was being renewed day by day, by the grace of God. How much more, in light of this passage, should we see reality from eternity and recognize that God is actually accomplishing something good in all of us? That we be more concerned about what God is preparing in all of us here, that he's growing us spiritually to be more like his son. And that through all of these afflictions that we're going through, it's actually doing something good for us. It's, it's achieving for us an eternal glory. We have to learn to see these things from God's perspective. And so all these heavy troubles we're going through, right, they hurt right now, but God is doing something wonderful. All of these moments of weakness and pain are renewing you day by day, and the Lord is preparing for you on that day that you get to receive that wonderful prize of eternal glory. And so let's see things differently from God's perspective. You know, at the height of his career as a Pharisee, a career that he could have climbed up even further, Paul threw that all away for a life of suffering and persecution because he looked forward to his final transformation at the second coming of Christ. See, Paul had that perspective in mind. And for him, the weight of affliction was great, right? We're not going to deny that. The weight of affliction is great, but the weight of eternal glory is even greater. The weight of affliction is great, but the weight of glory is even greater. The glory we are to receive is far beyond all comparison. And that's something that I think we should all look forward to, isn't it? And so, as we wrap up our time together, may we ask the Lord to help us focus on the path of eternal glory ahead. And it's a path that we can't really see with the untrained eye. 
And so that's why we want to ask the Lord to help us on our path here, right? That he leads us and that he guides us by his powerful hand, giving us the strength to persevere and to endure in every difficulty we encounter in ministry. Why not pray for us? Heavenly Father, Lord, I just want to thank you for the word that we got to hear from 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And Father, we just want to pray that as we hear and have heard your word spoken to us, that you will encourage us and nourish us in the way that we serve you, especially during some of the most difficult moments in ministry. Lord, we find that though ministry is a joy at times, it is often a burden as well. And and ministry doesn't often come without its discouragements and frustrations. And there are so many times where we often feel like we want to give up. And often, as a response, we, we, we try to protect ourselves so much from the hardship and the pain that often comes with ministry. But Father, we just want to pray. Help us to have confidence in your resurrection. Help us to realize that you've given us life. Help us to realize that we don't need to protect ourselves because you've forgiven us all in Jesus Christ. So help us serve you wholeheartedly to give ourselves away in sustainable sacrifice that we can do so because you've given us all that we need to be able to serve your people. And Father, we pray that your kingdom will come as we serve you continually in our lives today. And I pray this in your son's precious name. Amen.